Hello, my name is Elmira, I am from Kazakhstan, and I study in social anthropology program at Central European University. And I'm Grace, I'm from the US, and I'm in the Nationalism Studies program. In this podcast, we're putting a spotlight on student research that explores historical, cultural, and sociopolitical issues related to Central Asia. We will also play with our positionalities as insider and outsider, both culturally and academically. With these different perspectives, we'll try to untangle common assumptions or cliches about the region. Every episode features the work of a student guest, and together we'll explore the questions that drive their research forward. Okay, Grace, my congratulations with starting this podcast eventually. (laughs) So why did you want to start a podcast about your home region? Well, first of all, I think the program in uh, social anthropology played a big role in this uh, in this project because uh, once I started exploring what is anthropology and what was the let's say heritage of this discipline was really triggering my uh, let's say critical understanding of what is going on t- today in the um, research of Central Asia and because it's my like home region and then I met you. And then I thought, hmm, it would be interesting to do a podcast and like give this kind of space for all the students to talk about their research and to make it in this dialogue with someone who is also very acquainted with the region because I know that you lived in Almaty. Yeah. So what did you think when I invited you? (laughs) Well, I was really enjoying the course. We're both taking this class uh, on history of Central Asia. And uh, I was really enjoying our conversations, but I wanted to go deeper with certain things or just spend more time on it. And yeah, I I was also really inspired by your proposal to highlight student work, because when I was looking at universities to apply to for my master's, uh, one thing I looked at was dissertation topics and thesis topics. And I just noticed that a lot of people at CEU were focusing on Central Asia and Uh, So, you know, not only was there a course that would be really relevant to me, but also I I could tell that there would be people to talk to about um, what interests me more than anything in the world. Uh, Speaking of which, we should define where we're talking about exactly, because obviously we're both most familiar with Kazakhstan, but um, Central Asia is more than just Kazakhstan. so, (laughs) So let's talk about this. Yeah, that was actually an interesting kind of conversation starter right what is central asia and how we can define it like there is this very uh let's say typical understanding of central asia's um post-soviet countries Mm -hmm. the republics the stands right but eventually central asia is not about borders it's more about processes and practices Mm -hmm. So, especially considering what kind of lens you're looking through, is it uh, whose perspective, like you were saying, this you know Western perspective? Um, but there are other ones. If you're looking at it from an environmental point of view, that will give you a completely different picture. Um, if you're looking at it from I don't know an imperial history point of view, there there are so many different configurations, uh, and that makes it very exciting. So I think what we've decided is we're not going to give a very firm list of all the countries in Central Asia, but we will be drawing, uh, in our episodes, we'll be drawing on some parts of this area that you might not expect to be included. Uh, Because 
yeah, they're, they're just connections reaching out and beyond. I think it is interesting to look at this region through the process rather than something stable. Yes. And that will, let's say, broaden our perception of Central Asia, not only as geography, but also as a phenomenon. Yeah, and, and people. And uh, people. People as, as borders, as we've discussed in uh, Tajikistan, for example. Um, one maybe way to kind of kick this off, there are so many words and terms that are used to describe Central Asia, or this part of the world in general, that just make me cringe. And honestly, there isn't anything that I feel 100% comfortable with. You know, we've settled on Central Asia, but uh, even this has some problems with it. So I know there is this huge debate about term which in Russian sounds like Средняя Asia. Middle Asia. Yeah, probably. But then I was thinking like Central Asia is a translation of Средняя Asia, hmm. basically. Hmm. So today there is this whole debate about Средняя Asia because it is a Russian, let's say Soviet type of term which is considered to be a colonial term today. Hmm. So that is kind of problematic. And I know that in media, in, in media in Central Asia, this term was kind of abandoned. Hmm. And now people use more the word Central or Central Asia, which is considered to be less colonial. But wonder, that is an also question. <laughs> yes, but I wonder also, uh, when you say like Sredna in Russia, it kind of has a bit of a negative connotation. Like, um, how did it go? Oh, Sredna, yeah? So... <laughs> Mediocre Asia. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Whereas like central, centralna, it's like, just, it sounds a little better. It sounds like something important that's worthy of attention. So I wonder if that's why this... Uh, this could be one reason why this term has become popular, um, if not like in an academic sense, at least in a everyday usage. And uh, Central Asia, it, it's all it's also not an original term that came from the region. And then I was asking people, whatever historians, ethnographers, what was the initial re uh, regional name there? Mm. And apparently, there wasn't any name. Yeah, there was. Turkestan historically, but there was also Russian yeah. Empire name. And Turkestan is isn't all of what we're considering to be Central Asia today. Yeah. So the um, the need to have a name for this region as a whole is possibly a more recent phenomenon, perhaps. One time I heard you talking with someone. And I wanted to ask you about this. You were saying that. Someone said that Kazakhs are uh, more Mongolian. You were saying that you felt more like related to Turkish. Um, why do you feel this more connection to that part of the world? At some point, I was always thinking and relating Kazakhs to, let's say, Turkic group of people because of the language. So language mm -hmm. was kind of uniting us because I could understand a little bit of Turkish because I knew Kazakh. But uh, yeah, we had this conversation with my friend who is also a Russian and Georgian, born in Kazakhstan, very complicated <laughs> situation. So he was saying that he is telling his international colleagues or friends or people he meet that uh, Kazakhs 
um, more related to Mongolian empire, mm-hmm. empire or whatever, like remnants of Mongolian, let's say, empire, which sounds for me weird. Probably, yes, we look similar, not similar kind of resembling each other, but the thing is religion, for example. Like, Islam. Yes, our religion is Islam. There, it's Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So, so Buddhism would kind of alienate me from Mongolia mm. very much. Yeah. So I don't associate myself with Mongolia culturally, more with Turkey, mm. but my, let's say, appearance or appearance of some Kazakhs, not all of them, are more related to like Mongolian, um, Mongolian features, like face features. Or, huh. like. So I think... The conversation about Mongolian is a little bit racist. I see, okay. Uh, but I'm not cancelling Mongolian, let's say, heritage, sure. because, yeah, I mean, we're all we're living in the same region, sharing same whatever culture, traditions, I don't know, practices, and so, so on. So when people say this, it implies a... Um a more appearance-based version of ethnicity. I think, I think, yeah, I think because the main argument would be, but you look the same. Yeah, okay. And then I'm like, well, I know, but... <laughs> like, what is ethnicity? Ethnicity is not your face. Ethnicity mm-hmm. is practices. Ethnicity is something that you do every day. Your r- rituals, your... Habitus. Habitus, your... your routine. Yeah, r- uh, um, routines are what you are um but i also think that well you're in nationalism right Mm -hmm. the nation i mean i don't want to say it's problematic like nationalism it is it it, it is problematic but i mean every kind of nation has its right to reflect on its roots do you mean uh from an ethnicity point of view like every nation has the power to um, define its ethnicity, its ethnic makeup, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody make up stories, right? Everybody are creating stories they want to believe in. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of, I feel some kind of agency in that before they were deprived from that right, right? Yes, but whose agency? Like today, when, when we have independent nations... Um, that's a, that's another question. Yeah. If you are in democracy or not. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. my studies. <laughs> yeah. That's your topic. Okay. Uh, let's go back to our amazing title. Yes. Uh, Central Asia Inside Out. So we've talked about the Central Asia part. Why <laughs> we've thoroughly discussed why we've landed on Central Asia. Um, but what about Inside Out? So uh, what I was thinking... Uh, talking about the region and inviting you, like your um, experience of living in Kazakhstan is fascinating for me. It's very interesting for me each time like somebody from outside uh, is moving to Kazakhstan and staying for long term. It's very interesting because I know so many people who leave Kazakhstan. I left Kazakhstan in 2014 and what I thought of that I left Kazakhstan in 2014 and you came to Kazakhstan in 2015. Mm. So basically you might be more insider than me outsider, (laughs) right? And I think with this kind of position of 
you talking about Kazakhstan from a position of person who is discovering this country from scratch is very interesting because you see some patterns, some phenomena that I already don't see or ignore or I don't even notice. Mm -hmm. And when you are talking about some particularities that you are uh, discovering, I feel that I can make some contribution to your understanding of this phenomena. So thinking of that, I thought that it is interesting to put that in podcast because that is a dialogue that we can kind of keep on yeah. developing. I really like um, sort of the ambiguity as a title because, you know, if you look at something inside and out, it means you're kind of thoroughly examining it, um, looking at it from different angles. And that's what I think we're trying to do. Um, I also like that uh, you've said things about different ways in which you feel like an outsider and you've mentioned ways where you feel like I'm an insider and I find this kind of interesting. I, I like that uh, we're not fully in one box or the other and it kind of depends on what the topic is. Um, so I find that interesting and, and when, once we start having guests that will be interesting as well because um, some of them have these also um, mixed backgrounds. And the whole question of insider-outsider, first of all, it's problematic because, again, getting your education in Western academia, doing research in Central Asia, you are kind of still bringing that approach, which is not good or bad, right? It's mm -hmm. different to your understanding of the reality in Central Asia. But being from Central Asia, you are kind of trying to be critical about both things, both, both the things. region and the approach. The approach. <laughs> and being a researcher in the region or to the field of your study or to the community you are studying, you are outsider. Even mm. if you are Kazakh or whatever, you mm. are still an outsider. Even if you are talking the same language, there are so many different identities that you can have. And a researcher is in inherently a, an outsider position. Yeah, I, I really like that. That's well said. Um, but another reason why it makes me uncomfortable is that um, my, all of my time in Kazakhstan, I've had to kind of carefully walk this line um, where people would be so curious about me just because I'm an American or give me a lot of praise uh, so if I, you know, try to say a word in Kazakh, or um, especially in my case, singing in Kazakh, I've gotten um, this really insane and undeserved <laughs> amount of praise for things like this. Uh, and that's probably what very first interested me um, in these topics of kind of national identity and, uh, and especially the role of language in that. Um, but as time went on, I started really filtering myself more and more. It's something that I feel the need to be very careful about as well, because I haven't lived long-term in the US for a long time. I no longer feel like a complete insider there. But of course, I'll never be, in some ways, I'll never be a complete insider in Kazakhstan. There will always be um, most things that people will just inherently know more about uh, than me. And so that, as a student, has also been kind of a challenge. Like, what do I have to add? Um, what, what can I add of value if uh, there are so many things that anyone in Kazakhstan would just know a lot more about than me? It's also interesting to think 
towards whom you are insider or outsider for whom you are doing this research and who is your audience and who are you to that audience that is an interesting question and i think the main conclusion that we can make from this uh, conversation is just to have this very critical position and understanding of what we are doing why mm-hmm. how and for whom so in other words our title each each part of it is controversial and a little bit unsettling but we're still gone with it so grace we talked about our identities and our experiences being here and there and everywhere um let's talk more about the research that is driven by our identity i guess mm-hmm. so what what are your research interests um in this program and yeah maybe if you have some projects that you are thinking already yes so i'm in a two year program and i haven't finalized my thesis topic yet but i have been doing some smaller projects for classes um some ones that i've been interested in lately are banal nationalism in street names in almaty because this is something that just was sort of an everyday part of life when i was there and um i i found it so funny that people would have all these different names for the same street um so i, I was kind of looking more into that and and how it uh reflects both soviet practices of commemorative naming but also um the current nation building uh project from the government um and then the famine i've always been very interested in the famine of the 1930s because i think i lived in kazakhstan for at least over a year maybe 2 years before i heard about this and then once i understood the scale uh you know a, a quarter of the population dying and uh all of these atrocities it was so shocking to me that this wasn't talked about all the time um so that just made me want to learn more and more and more about it um so a few of my recent papers have been about that right now i'm working on one looking at uh the institutions and systems that kept people bound to uh their collective farms so the internal passport system um and i'm exploring that it it is actually interesting question about the famine and i think we will discuss that further in our podcast because it raises so many questions on so many levels just the speculative thought that i was thinking mm-hmm. about the streets and famine what <laughs> would be uh, you know this i- interesting idea of commemorating that i'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that one of the things i pointed out in this paper is uh how strange it is that the famine isn't reflected um on Almaty streets there is a statue or a, a memorial up in a park but it's kind of in a little out of the way part of the center um and then there's this uh, infamous picture there's there was a plaque where this memorial was supposed to be and it was there for years and years and it was almost like they just forgot you know um but now there is finally um this memorial but no street names and uh similarly other difficult events or controversial events um or controversial people are often left out um for example it's a, it's a little bit conspicuous that the leaders of Alashorda the uh, nationalist movement 
aren't really represented in street names. There's one um, by Tursinova. He's he has a major street uh, in Almaty, but I I think that his contributions to the field of linguistics and developing Kazakh education, Kazakh language education, are sort of emphasized. Um, I could that could just be my perception, but I feel like I didn't hear about his political uh, activities until I was researching him for for something, and then I was like, oh wow, <laughs> turns out he was part of this group. I, I made a survey for this paper to see which names people use. So I, I gave them a choice between um, the Soviet version or the previous version. Um, in some cases, it was from pre-Soviet times and the modern version. Um, and because there was so much overlap, I said that that is kind of indicating that there isn't um, major feeling that goes along with making that choice. Like, for example, it didn't seem like, oh, if you're Kazakh, you always say this version. If you're Russian, you always say this version. Or any other, you know, even age, even young people who were born after the fall of the Soviet Union were still using old names. And I, another part of the survey checked to see if they actually knew the old names, and, and uh, a lot of people did. So that was, you know, to make sure it wasn't just they were using the, old, the new one because that's all they knew. Um, so the conclusion being that they know the old names and the new names, and they use, many people use both the old names and the new names. What, what would be my assumption uh, of the street use, that it would come from the background of your family, let's say. So I think the street names could be an indicator of outsider and insider again, mm. because it is Almaty, it is like former capital, it is the biggest city in the country. It's about, again, like being local, being yes. generationally local, or hmm. I don't well I, I absolutely agree with you that it's kind of a you're an, an Almaty insider <laughs> if you if you use the old names I've seen that um, but I don't know if it means that you're generally generationally tied to Almaty because for example I think a lot of people who've recently moved there pick up on it even I've picked up on it I um, if I'm in a taxi I generally use the old names um, it's interesting which historical narratives uh, and types of people are memorialized. Um, and in general, it's kind of been in keeping with Soviet practices, with the exception of Nazarbayev Street. This kind of breaks all the rules. So, uh, But we, we should set this up better. Nazarbayev, who is Nazarbayev, Amira? <laughs> so Nazarbayev is, was... Uh, a president of Kazakhstan and before uh, independence he was also a leader of a communist party in the region so basically he was in power in Kazakhstan since 1989 the thing is that the street we are talking about is one of the major main streets in the city and basically, it connects the residence, the president's residency mm -hmm. with airport. And the thing is, the pattern is that any Soviet city or post-Soviet city would have Lenin Street yeah. there. And Nazarbayev Street uh, is now often a site of uh, protest. Um, people will hang banners there in protest. Uh, or have marches there, and it, it adds an extra layer of significance um, choosing this location. And um, in a smaller way, for many people, 
to varying degrees, choosing to call the streets Formula um, instead of Nazarbayev is uh, is also a f- an act of I don't know if I want to say protest, but uh, for pre- me it would be an act of yeah, protest. Yeah, sure. I never use this name. Protest or at least kind of um, rejection. I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Would you like to introduce me to your research interests? Yeah, so it's good that we started talking about politics, and I think everything is political. <laughs> everything mm-hmm. is political in Central Asia. <laughs> mm. What I'm interested in is gender question, gender field in Central Asia, and my main, let's say, research topic or research question is about women in politics in Kazakhstan. And by women in politics, I identify all active women who have political agenda. So that doesn't mean only official politicians, but also activists or some leaders who are doing um, like work in media or international organizations or NGOs. And I want to basically talk to those women and to study their practices and conceptions of democracy, of change, of uh, political situation in Kazakhstan within this framework of political regime that is happening now in Kazakhstan, which is another topic. And I'm looking at this whole kind of field from the perspective that gender and women were usually separate, let's say, social group or identity who always experienced some kind of attempts to emancipate, to empower, to whatever, do something with those women. And I'm looking at this, let's say, historical context of the situation. So in terms of history, I'm interested in the 20s and 30s when there was this huge Soviet policy of women emancipation and actually when you are talking to contemporary women in Kazakhstan they would say that for example feminism in Central Asia is a big topic like everybody discusses and women particularly would say I'm not a feminist I don't need feminism in Soviet times women were emancipated we got all the rights, we got everything. We don't need this Western, I don't know, concepts, things. It all comes with yes. from the West. So that is somehow interesting phenomena for the region. Do you think it's um, there's more resistance because it comes where it comes from, from the West, or more resistance because of the content of uh, the movement or, or message? Or I think it's everything. Okay. I think it Package is... Package deal. Yeah, I think the whole thing with feminism in Central Asia is cultural phenomena. So I would say because it is broad and broadcasted as fem as Western concept of as something that was born in the West and brought to you by media, by mm. international organizations and stuff like that, it is perceived or accepted as alien and not, you know, relevant to us. But when you look at feminism, like, practically, the 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 practices that women are using, the, the actual lifestyles and routines, 
Like they are practicing feminism every day. They are leaders. They are empowering other people. They are kind of fighting for their rights. They are, I don't know, fighting for justice or whatever. They are experiencing uh, inequalities and they are protesting that, but they don't want to call it feminism. Hmm. So there is this tension there. So that is one thing, but also I'm really interested in terms of what is democracy for Central Asia. So I was thinking about this. It's a bit of a similar tension, isn't there? Because it's coming from the West. It is the same thing, yeah. yeah. So that is also interesting for me because, again, it's some kind of concept that is born in Greece <laughs> and uh, raised... <laughs> In in the U.S. I don't know. Kicked out as a as a rebellious teenager <laughs> in the 1700s. Yeah. Then, 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 then there was this whole matured and became disillusioned. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there was this whole like historical period in. 2000s when there was this uh, fight with uh, Islamism, terrorism, everything, and democracy became this big flag that everybody wanted to kind of achieve, and and it was brought also to Kazakhstan and to Central Asia in in the beginning of 2000s as part of this big transformative project um, period that was happening. But then it's again not working, right? Mm-hmm. Name the democracies in Central Asia. Mm. Kyrgyzstan, which is struggling, mm. but like I'm still looking at that country with admiration. Yeah. And it, it would be it would be relevant further because I'm looking also at this phenomenon of the first female uh, president uh, candidate for presidency in 2019. So when Nazarbayev stepped down. Uh, there was Dania Yispaeva, who uh, is a representative of one of uh, the parties, and that party is very much, let's say, <clears throat> aligned with the regime. And that was an interesting phenomenon for me, because she was there basically formally, like how elections are happening in Kazakhstan, they're very formal. And this woman was there also form- formal, but she was this first female president candidate in Central Asia, whereas in Kyrgyzstan, when um, revolution happened in 2004, five, the uh, temporal president was a woman, and she basically then, with her leadership, they re- redesigned the whole uh, political structure in Kyrgyzstan. So so that that is an interesting question about women's role in in the region in political terms and democracy is also a controversial term and I want to I want to understand how people interpret that concept so basically it's all about like discursive analysis of concepts that women operate how do they politicize or not their gender identity how do they practice their power being in very patriarchal structure because politics is very patriarchal um, sphere and what are their alternative spaces where do they find agency where do they find this space or sphere where they can actually make change have 
protests been one of these spaces? That's one of the directions, let's say. But what I'm also interested in that women in official politics who are working in parliament, how do they understand their role and how do they understand the regime and what is going on around them and how do they practice their power? So, yeah. Elmira, thank you very much for telling me about your research project. Thank you too for sharing your research topics with me. And we'd also like to thank our professor, Charles Shaw, who teaches a great course at CEU called Mobility, Exchange and Revolution, Introduction to Modern Central Asia. So keep an eye out for that in the course catalog next year. We would also like to thank a PhD student, uh, Farouk Kuziev, our wonderful TA. There will be future episodes, so keep an eye out for those. Yeah, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>